Hey fans of Biblical Genetics, this is Dr. C. As usual, I'm going to give you a little intro to uh, the episode you're about to hear. I am um, going to move away from the coronavirus stuff. We've heard enough of that lately. Let's do something completely different. Let's go and just talk about cellular technology. And I'm actually going to give just a 10 minute, very brief thing on some of the most amazing aspects of the human genome. I'm gonna talk about how complex it is, how, um, how amazing it is, how fun it is to study. But what I'm doing is summarizing an hour-long presentation I gave at a conference that Creation Ministries International hosted several years ago up in South Carolina. I was a huge audience, a bunch of people, and this is one of my best presentations I've ever given in my life. Now, unlike these little short uh, videos and uh, podcasts that you listen to. This is like me on stage and I just hit it just right. And I was so excited. And it's the first time I ever gave this talk, which was dangerous because I did it in front of a camera and they liked it so much, they turned it into a, a video called The High Tech Cell. If you would like to uh, listen to it or watch it, you can download it from creation.com or you can order a DVD from creation.com if you like. I'll have the link in the show notes. Uh, but this is just a fun thing, a little exploration into how complicated the genome is. Now, if you need visuals, I do have a article on creation.com, which I'll also link on the same subject. And you can just read along or read it afterwards if you like, or just get the, get the video. Now, I've filmed this episode last fall up in Kendallville, Indiana. I knew I was gonna go out into the country and I, I cast about saying, okay, if I'm gonna be up there, what's a cool place where I can do a little, a little episode? And I found the Mid-America Windmill Museum. And I wrote them, I asked permission if I could film there. They said, absolutely. So I went up there. It was actually, they were closed. So I'm standing at their gate, though I don't think you can tell from there unless you've been there. And I was on my way to speak at a church, but it was Sunday morning, beautiful day. And I left early and I'm standing there talking. And while I was talking, the sun was rising in front of me. It was just lovely. And you'll see that on camera if you watch the video. You'll see it starts out dark and all of a sudden I'm in, in bright light and then a cloud goes in front of the sun. It gets darker again and some, some geese were honking and they flew past. Just beautiful morning, beautiful day, time to rejoice in God's presence. And I just had an opportunity to speak on some of the amazing things that God has created. And yes, I know this is the seventh episode that I've released, but I actually, I released episode number 20 a couple of weeks ago. That was my first coronavirus article. I had the one where I was, I was on the lake in Maine. I didn't anticipate that being coming out so early, but the uh, viral epidemic uh, made me do that. And then I did another special one last Saturday um, that I call Coronaspiracy, which also was a, a very highly watched YouTube video for me. I'm highly watched for me at 700 views. I'm just getting started on this. I'm really hoping to build up a, a watching clientele and a listening clientele like you. And I really, really, really appreciate you spending time with me, listening to what I have to say. I have a lot more coming, but here we go. Episode number seven, or call it nine if you want, of Biblical Genetics. Hello and welcome to Biblical Genetics Episode 5. I'm your host, Dr. C, coming at you today from the Mid-America Windmill Museum in Kendallville, Indiana. This is such a cool place. There's all these great examples of technology. Human brains trying to figure out how to grab this free stuff called wind and harness that power and do something with it, to pump, to saw, to do all these amazing things that we've done over, over many centuries. But you know, 
even our best technology, even the coolest thing that we've ever done is nothing compared to the technology we see inside the cell. In fact, the technology of the cell is more complicated than anything humankind has ever been able to reproduce. So now we're sitting here with a, with a problem. We're trying to explain how things like the human genome work, but we don't understand it because we're not smart enough yet. So let me give you an analogy. Imagine that the human genome is like a computer, like a computer operating system. Well, as soon as we start doing this, we're gonna realize that we don't have any computers that compare. Computer programmers, they write in lines of code. Remember back in high school math, you remember a line is a one-dimensional object, is really long, has no width to it at all? Computer programmers write in lines of code, so their code is really one-dimensional. But on the other hand, it's two-dimensional because this piece of code connects to this piece of code, and this piece controls this piece, and this calculates something and sends this number over to here. And so you get this two-dimensional network of interactions. So that's as complicated as it gets. The genome, though, is four-dimensional. Now, the rest of this talk is gonna be a very brief summary of my favorite lecture I've ever given in my entire life. I, we filmed this at a Creation Super Conference that CMI put together several years ago. It's called the High Tech Cell. Follow the links in the show notes. You can find it. It's, it's um, available on creation.com if you're interested. Unlike a computer, the human genome operates in four dimensions. It's extremely complicated and crazy technology-wise. Here's how it works. We have a string, we have DNA. It's a line, it's six feet long. That six feet is packed into something you can't even see inside the nucleus of your cell. If you were just to read the letters, A, T, G, C, C, A, C, C, G, C, C, A, 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 C, G, C, it's really, really boring. And yet, those letters together make an incredible system that makes you, and you are not boring. But just like a computer, where this piece of code over here controls this piece of code over here and this one calculates something and feeds it back over here, your cell does that also. You have this ginormous, unbelievably complex interrelationship web of all these pieces of DNA where this gene makes a product that comes over here and influences this gene or turns on this system or changes this chemical to that chemical. It's this giant 2D network, but there's four dimensions. The third dimension of the DNA of your genome is the shape. DNA has a shape. I'll put a lot of this information in the show notes, but I remember right after uh, the human genome was sequenced, one of the first things someone did is they said, well, we have these genes that are used together in this biochemical pathway. Let's go look and see where they are in the genome because, you know, I might expect them to be found together in the genome. There's a famous thing in E. coli called the lac operon. It's a set of three genes and they're used to digest lactose. Well, just upstream of that, there's a little control signal that turns on the set of genes or turns off the set of genes, allowing them to digest lactose or not. Well, they're right next to each other, and they're in a line. Whoosh, easy. Turn it on. All three things are used. It's not like that way in the, hum in the human genome at all. In fact, the genes are random. They're found all over the place, different chromosomes, different, different directions. And so the studiers who were looking at this, they said, oh, it's just junk. The human genome is just millions of years of evolutionary experiments, and there's no rhyme or reason to it, it's just junk. Well, later on, another group stepped up and they said, wait a second, if we treat the cell with formaldehyde, any DNA next to each other is gonna cross-link. And once you cross-link the DNA like that, even if the pieces aren't next to each other in the same chromosome, we can cut it up, we take all these, these DNA X's, and we can sequence the arms of those X's. And when we did that, we realized that all these genes that are on different chromosomes are actually held together in 3D space right next to each other. Oh, 
and the genes that are used together are next to each other in 3D. So whoever programmed that first linear string knew how it was going to fold up into this giant 3D blob so that the genes that are needed are, are used right there. And the coolest thing, I mean, it, it's, it gets even more complicated from there because not only are they together, but they tend to form a pocket, an open spot. So all the genes are in this hollow place near a nuclear pore. So they can all be turned on together. The messenger RNAs can go out the nuclear pore and get translated into proteins. And now we've learned some more added stuff after the fact. The things that translate DNA or RNA into protein are called ribosomes. But they're different ribosomes for different sets of genes. So when we looked at the genes, there, um, there's three letters that code for each amino acid, which means a lot of amino acids have more than one code. Well, some genes use one code more than others. It was a big mystery. Well, now we realize that there are ribosome sets that are fine-tuned to work with one group of genes and other ribosomes that are coded to work with other groups of genes in another level of complexity. Oh, boy. Okay, so that's three levels. The fourth level is literally time. The genome changes shape over time. Yeah, do that with a computer program. Oh yes, it changes shape. As different genes are needed, the ones that aren't used are kind of buried and packed away in just in this densely coiled DNA. But when you need them, the cell has to open up the DNA, change the shape of the chromosomes, expose a gene, use it, and when it's done, it packs it away again. So there's 3D conformational changes, but it's more than that because the 2D interaction network also changes. And it's more than that. The first dimension of the DNA, that linear string, can literally be recoded on the fly. We don't tend to do that with our computer programs. I mean, we've always been experimenting with dynamically reprogramming programs, but it's really complicated and a lot of unexpected things keep happening. But the genome does it routinely. In fact, there's one point in, um, in development where your brain is producing millions of neurons a minute. And those neurons are produced in specific areas of the brain, and then they travel through the brain to get to where they're supposed to go. Well, how do they know what to do? Why is one neuron different from another? Well, it turns out there's these little things called jumping genes or retrotransposons that they used to say all retrotransposons are remnants of ancient viral infections. They're just junk DNA. They're just sitting there. They're parasitic. Well, actually, no. The, the brain cells have actually different genomes. The retrotransposons will pop out, go somewhere else, and stick themselves somewhere else in the genome of the brain cell. And that changes the code. And that changes the type of brain cell. And now this, we have type 1, type 2, type 3, type 4, because of these little retrotransposons. They discovered that in the mouse embryo, if you deactivate one class of these things, the mouse embryo will develop and then stop because a lot of retrotransposons carry the start sequence for different genes. And so then by them popping around and moving in, in the genome, they change the first dimension of the genome, which affects everything else downstream. Your livers have to, they have to detoxify a lot of things. So they need lots of gene products. So in one way to do that, they just copy extra chromosomes. So if this liver cell needs a lot of copies of, of this particular gene, it'll just dink, 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 add more chromosomes. So we have different gene count, different genomes in each liver cell. In fact, there's another retrotransposon that is intrinsic to the binding of the placenta to the uterine wall. It's used in all mammals. In fact, without that so-called junk DNA, we would have no mammals. So that's incredibly functional, very important stuff. Junk DNA is passé. We're going to do lots of talking about that in the future. But that is just a brief introduction 
into the four dimensions of the genome. We'll be getting back to uh, genetic technology, cellular technology a lot, but that's just the start. Now, if you're liking uh, this sort of stuff, please follow us, share our videos, subscribe to our channel, watch our, or listen to our podcasts. We really need your support. We really want to promote the show. I really appreciate all of you spending your time with me. This is Dr. C signing off. Have a great day.